Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. listening might say why in the world is brett my trusted Southside Sox podcast host leading off this podcast number seven with a song by lewis jordan titled louisville lodge meeting well i'm going to tell you why because we have a guy who is very close to the city of louisville we're going to be talking about louisville in this podcast believe it or not and it's relatively new writer to Southside Hit Pen and a fan post writer at Southside Sox. And that's Trevor Lyons. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Brett. What an intro. That was a <laughs> surprise. I like it. <laughs> I was searching and I said, you know what? Let's do some Lewis Jordan. And, you know, why not? That's yeah. Lewis Jordan. It's a little before my time, but I like it. I like it. I like where we're going with this. You know, Trevor, I don't know what you're implying, but it is also before my time, but God bless you. <laughs> no, I'm not implying anything. <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, uh, Trevor has uh, thrown together some uh, cool pieces for us already. Um, uh, again, starting on Southside Sox, and I asked him to write over at Southside Hit Pen as well. And so we're going to talk about a couple of those pieces, I guess, to begin the podcast. And the most recent piece really published right as or right before things sort of got ground to a halt with baseball. And again, I guess it bears mentioning here before we get too much into baseball, listen, we're going to just try to presume, as I said in the previous podcast, that things are going to, uh, things with the coronavirus are going to be uh, controlled to some degree. We're all going to be pretty hopeful about that. Hopefully people are going to behave in the way that they're being asked to. And so we can sort of flatten the curve out on the thing as soon as possible and we can get baseball back. When the situation comes up that we can't do that, then obviously we're going to have a whole different tone of podcasts, and we probably won't even have podcasts, frankly. So let's hope it doesn't come to that. We're just going to try to proceed and just continue to talk about baseball and a White Sox season that is coming sooner or later. And when that changes, when, of course, the tone of everything will change. So with that said, let's get into some of Trevor's stuff. What was published right before things sort of ground to a halt with baseball uh, was a piece that he did on Zach Birdie, a fellow uh, Louisville uh, fella. So let's jump right into that. Uh, I think right off the bat, Trevor, you sort of saw something different in what Zach is doing post-surgery, post-injury troubles and pre. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I'd i been following him for quite a while as a, as a fellow downer. Well, he, he grew up in Downers Grove, but as a fellow... Um, suburbs of Chicago kid, um, him and his brother. And then when he went down to Louisville and I was down there, I was also watching him 
at that level, just kind of dominating uh, at the, you know, all the way through the College World Series, uh, the regionals, all that. And so I, I kind of had a good a good feel for what his delivery looked like. And then uh, I just saw some recent footage from spring training, and I'd, I'd, I'd kind of kept up with him because obviously as a first-round pick from the Sox a few years back, um, he's definitely on everyone's radar. So I was keeping up with his rehab. Last year, I know his velocity wasn't back um, prior to his knee injury, wasn't back to where it was, so he was struggling a little bit. But uh, early results from spring training were definitely promising, and I definitely noticed in some of those early videos that his arm action seemed a little bit shorter and more compact. So I was interested in that, uh, reached out to him on Twitter, uh, and he was nice enough to answer some questions about it, especially considering the fact that Giolito had his overhaul before the season last year, uh, shortening his arm action, and obviously that seemed to pay dividends. Now, he's he's a guy, you know, I think, you know, unfortunately with his, his I guess you could say, sort of string of injuries, obviously the TGS being the big one, uh, that he's, mm-hmm. that you know, he did sort of lose a little prospect luster, and folks, you know, certainly have been more down on him last year seeing the velocity drop given that that really was his meat and potatoes the velocity he had not yeah. really being an experienced enough guy to have developed really strong second or third pitches and being a, a you know late inning guy maybe that's you know when you're younger that certainly isn't even necessarily a necessity uh mm-hmm. so you know in talking to him and and in and, and your own observations you know, do you see a way that maybe some of those concerns are a little overblown now that, that his his progress back from injury is just was going to be a little bit longer than maybe any of us wanted and that he seems to be on, on a track that sees him as a guy who can still project into the big leagues? Yeah, for sure. I think that everyone obviously coming off of surgery takes a different recovery timeline and his might have been a little bit longer with Tommy John. He, it took him a little bit longer to start seeing that velocity creep back up to where it was. And it, it's still not all the way back to where it was, but obviously with having that knee injury last year, he's still probably doing all of that rehab. wasn't able to lift heavy this off season. Um, so he's probably still trying to get his legs underneath him. And he's, I mean, he's been 95, 97, which isn't anything to sneeze at, yeah. but um, you know, he, he was sitting, sitting a hundred in college. So hopefully, you know, as he gets his legs under him, as he, as it developed the water or the weather warms up a little bit here, he can tick back up into that range. But even, even with where he's sitting, you know, uh, his, his off speed stuff looks great. Obviously he has a lot of movement on his fastball. It's kind of a disappearing fastball, disappearing change up. Um, so he, he definitely still has the stuff. Um, I think, he can he can succeed with what he has right now, but if he can, you know, get those two three miles per hour back, he can become that dominant back end guy that everyone was hoping for when the White Sox drafted him. I think what's nice about Zach too, not that this is the primary thing to look for in a player, but the fact that he seems to integrate so well with teammates, he seems to have a nice little personality. He seems a little feisty. Uh, you, you know, you, you like to see that in a guy, too. It's not to say you can't have a boring guy who, you know, hits 350. You'll take it every time. But yeah. it's sort of nice to see, especially for a young guy who might not necessarily feel comfortable right away. Seems like he's already, you know, I mean, he's a first-round draft toy, so, I mean, he's definitely got some cred. But, you know, it's just sort of nice to see a guy integrate himself pretty well, you know, with media, seem pretty comfortable. He seems like he's going to be a good addition to the clubhouse uh, if and when he gets to the south side. Definitely, yeah. He seemed super relatable, super down-to-earth. He's my age, so it honestly felt like I was talking to one of my buddies back (laughs) at school about baseball. We were just, you know, having a good time uh, talking through some stuff mechanically. Um, Obviously, he has a lot more expertise on the pitching side than I do, but you know, it was, it was just a good relatable conversation. And I've seen video of him interacting with Giolito with the, uh, that Dave and Buster's trip. I don't know if you saw it, but right. those guys were having a blast. It looked like, so it seems like they're a good crew, a good group of guys. So that's all good. Yeah. And he had a lot of like video game swag. Cause I think he's like trash talk Benetti too. And so I think he had a little setback at that, at that uh, Buster's trip too, I think. So, I mean, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully he handled his, his setback pretty well, <laughs> you know, too. I don't think I watched the video all the way through, but I did get the sense that uh, things didn't exactly go as well way. So, you know, it's, it's good that he's, you yeah. know, He's, he's I think him and Giolito are kind of cut from the same cloth. 
as in, you know, they're very analytical when it comes to their um, preparation and the way that they go about pitching, um, which obviously in this new school environment seems like it's kind of the, the new wave. Now, I've, I personally haven't spent a lot of time in Louisville, but I've always been impressed by the city. It's always was intriguing to me. It was actually on uh, my wife and I's our, our sort of short list when we were relocating from Chicago. Um, but, you know, I understand that the audience uh, listening here, you know, may not know much about Louisville. And I'm just looking at your top local spots. You got Zach <laughs> has, has four local spots. You have four local spots, but they're different. So really, I yeah. mean... Did Zach blow it, or were you being polite and letting him take the best spots, and then you just filled out another four, or you know what's the standout on that list? No, I, those are four completely <laughs> separate spots. That's my top spots, um, so I did not let him get the first pick <laughs> whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I've I've been to a couple spots that out of, out of his four, he had the Silver Dollar, which is a restaurant. I've never been there. Dragon King's Daughter, never been there. But Sully's and O'Shea's are a couple of the local bars that I've been to. They're good spots. Um, Shenanigans Pub is my top spot. It's just like the local college bar for Bellarmine students. And, you know, I just have some great memories there. Mount Fuji is like a local hibachi spot Hmm. right off Louisville's campus. Um, That's a great spot. And then Molly Malone's. And then obviously Churchill Downs, you know. Sure. Everyone knows about Churchill, so... I had some fun, you know, going there every Thursday. Not every Thursday, but you know what I mean. Every so often. I, I hate to say it, Trevor. I think I'm going to have to skew to Zach's list because, completely random reason, I'm a kid out of Highwood, Illinois. And there's, among the 650 bars squeezed into that one square mile, tiny little city completely enveloped by Highland Park, is a bar called the Silver Dollar. I've spent some time at the Silver Dollar. So I'm going to, even though it isn't okay. even the Silver Dollar he's talking about, uh, I'm going birdie on this one, you know. Yeah. Sorry, Mr. Lyons, but I, I got to go birdie. You know. If anyone's in, if anyone's in Louisville, they should check out any of those spots. I guarantee his his are great as well, and the couple that I've been to on his list are some good spots. So. This is what I like a lot of, about a lot of our Southside uh, uh, socks and Southside hip pen writers. You know, the the initiative that Trevor took in terms of just reaching out. Uh, first of all, to write in the first place uh, with fan posts of Southside Sox, uh, really um, sharp stuff that caught my eye. But then also taking the initiative to try to reach out to somebody you know, via, via Twitter or ho- however you're going to do it. Uh, you know, w- what's the risk? Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, sometimes even maybe pre- presumption or pretension out there in sports writing and, and blogs. And I've never really, whether I was on the side of it, being on the beat and being a, a so-called pro or, uh, you know, starting up Southside Hip Pen or uh, taking on Southside Socks uh, or freelance writing. Um, you know, we're all fans. We all follow the game. We're all probably pretty sharp fans. I think we all have something to say. You know, Trevor uh, put his voice to paper. Uh, you know, he's running with it now at Southside Hip Pen, and it's a cool thing to see. And I think a lot of people uh, in that crew and people who even stretch back to Southside Socks have done that. And, and that's something that impresses me. And, and, you know, why not do it? If this is something you love to do, you know, give it a try. So, you know, well done, Trevor, and I appreciate this piece. And uh, I think we're going to now transition into an earlier piece, which I believe did have its genesis as a fan post at Southside Socks that we pulled over to Southside Hip Pen. And it was so it was a it was a sense of maybe four you know, underrated or you know easy to overlook storylines heading into this uh, 2020 season. So let's just uh, I guess quickly run those down. Uh, the first guy that came up it's not somebody who nobody else has talked about because he's been a bit of an enigma, and that's Ronaldo Lopez. Uh, you know what are your thoughts on him and and what do you think uh, his chances of of taking a similar to Lucas Giolito turnaround because Lucas certainly is one of the worst starters in baseball uh in 2008 uh 2018 he turned it around uh, ronaldo had a really rough goal of in 2019 can he make any kind of similar uh step forward um i do not personally see like uh giolito like tur- turnaround for ronaldo in the future returns in spring training have definitely looked promising become a solid starter he has he has good stuff you know he has a big fastball some of the advanced stats, the analytics don't love him. Um, so that is something that may hold him back. And as far as like his spin rate, all that. But, you know, he's a super good competitor out there. 
you love to see that out of a pitcher. That's one of the things you like to see. And then um, I saw Grandal. I think Grandal can have a big effect on yeah. Lopez and potentially help him. Um, I saw Grandal notice that he was throwing two different sliders, and he said, yep. you know, why not embrace that? So they kind of increased the gap in velocity between those two pitches, one more like a slow, loopy slider, and then, you know, the sharp, like, put-away slider. Um, and, you know, in the start that I was watching, you know, he went four good innings, four solid innings, um, either shutout or one run earned. Um, so in, in that regard, you know, I think he can have a solid year. I don't know if he has a Cy Young-like ceiling like Giolito, but... That's what I love about the Sox getting Grandal. I mean, obviously, it's not something that's been overlooked because everybody pretty much universally acclaims that as the best uh, free agent, you know, signing the Sox made and, and so on and so on. And, you know, of course, I've long wished that, that they had done it uh, the previous offseason, frankly. Then we'd have them for five years instead of four. But the idea of what he mm-hmm. brings to the table, I mean, not, I mean, for, even if he was a, even if he, I don't know, even if he was a terrible catcher, just offensively, he's going to, he's going to give you something the White Sox have, you know, maybe never had, certainly not had in a long time. But the idea that with every one of these guys, he's not only willing, but eager to, to help break them down, to help, you know, obviously encourage them uh, and see things that, you know, maybe even, you know, maybe Coop's not overlooking, but maybe isn't as much of a point of emphasis to him. The idea that he's going to be able, I mean, the example you just brought up was terrific because he did sort of note those two different sliders. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is cool. This is good. This is a mm-hmm. weapon. And the idea that rather than being like, Hey, you know, I don't know who's going to tell him this, but maybe some coaching or some, maybe another teammate or another catcher might say, Hey, you got to get, you got to figure out your one. So you got to get your one slider down. Let's, let's master that instead saying, Hey, you got weapons, you know, let's roll with them. I mean, that's, yeah. I don't think it's an underrated aspect of Grandal because obviously people, you know, love what he brings as a catcher and a defensive player, but, you know, it's something that's easy to overlook. And, I mean, it's just, it makes me so excited to see what he can do with this. You just got to figure every pitcher and the staff and the rotation is going to just get a little, at least a little tick better just having that guy behind the plate. Yeah, I am all on board with that, especially, you know, now that we have Keiko, um, someone who kind of nibbles with the uh, framing that Grandall brings on top of that, you know, he's a student of the game from everything I've heard, love studying the film on all of his different pitchers, but you know, the framing ability that he has. And, you know, if he's stealing five strikes a game, that would be huge as far as getting these young pitchers. And then also Keuchel uh, to the next level. Well, as long as we're talking about framing, let's skip around here and let's jump right to James McCann. We caught um, some video of McCann in the bullpen before a spring training game. I believe it was Janice Carrillo, uh, Southside hip pen, who who caught some of the drills being done. I'm not sure if it's common or uncommon at all, but uh, one of the things you brought out and what you wrote is that that's something that McCann would be focusing on in the offseason, and clearly he's taken that into spring training because he was doing drills uh, uh, you know, look like decidedly um, focused on him, you know, pulling uh, strikes into the zone, pulling borderline pitches into the zone. Um, is this a guy who's going to be able to um, match or, or come close to what Grandal can bring defensively with this potential? And in the role that McCann is going to play, which is obviously very uh, limited compared to last year, uh, you know, does it even matter? Um, I even if he makes huge, huge strides, he's not going to match Grandall, but if he can get to average framing um, and then bring some of that offense that he showed in the first half last year, he can definitely be, you know, the weaker half of a semi-platoon with Grandall where he's getting a spot start here and there. I know Giolito likes throwing to him, so maybe mix him in there for some of Giolito's starts and then just kind of keep these guys fresh throughout the season. Just gives... Renteria some more options to either DH Grandall and catch McCann and give, you know, Edwin Encarnacion a day, give Abreu a day and play Grandall or Edwin at first. Um, it just frees up some options for the lineup. Now, uh, speaking of the lineup, um, I don't want to say it's necessarily the weakest spot. It certainly was last year. So let's just say definitively it was the weakest spot in the lineup last year, and that's right field. White Sox did less than I think yeah. a lot of fans wanted to in terms of patching that hole and making a trade for Nomar Mazzara, a relatively low-risk deal, but hopes for uh, hopes for high output that you know may not be founded. He did flash some power in the, in the abridged spring training we saw. 
Uh, but is a Nomar Mazara, say Adam Engel, Platoon, something that brings you, if you're still looking at that as perhaps the weakest spot in the lineup, does that give you a, a, a minimum level of satisfaction, Trevor? Yeah, I love that move. I know a lot of people were not on board with it, um, but he's still so young. He was once, you know, a top-rated prospect, um, obviously has the tools. You can see that right away. And if we can put him in positions to succeed, you know, limit his time against left-handed pitching, because obviously throughout his career, he's really, really, really struggled against left-handed pitching. Um, and early in the spring, he looked great. So that's good to see. And then you got Engel or Lurie Garcia. Um, Engel looked great also during the spring. And if we can get him some good matchups and kind of platoon in that regard, I think at least you can get league average production out of those two. And even if you do get slightly below league average, it's still going to be a huge upgrade from yeah. what we got out of that position last year. That was like negative. Uh, the seal, yeah. Like negative 25 war. Unlimited. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and one yeah. of these years, Trevor, uh, Rick Hahn's going to wise up enough to say, you know what, uh, I'm going to sell high on Adam Engel, and I'm going to somehow deal him to the Diamondbacks before we even leave Arizona, because Lord knows, that guy might win an MVP if he got to play for the Diamondbacks, because he owns yeah. Arizona. I can't figure it out, but he just owns it's crazy. Arizona. Man. I uh, think I think he might have put some things together towards the second yeah. half after last year. Um, he's better good at the plate and with his sense that he brings to the table you know if you can just get a, a slightly below average hitter out of him that's a great player yeah the um it's interesting you know as, as fans we do get impatient certainly when guys even when guys break early uh, and they may might be you know in the majors say even before 21 you know we, we can still be pretty hard on them we want to see you know, production and, you know, the angles, a guy who, you know, I mean, certainly he's not, you know, he's, he's not long in the tooth, but you know, he's, he's not a, a spring chicken either. So, I mean, it's fair to, to have been a little frustrated with his lack of progress in his career so far, even if he did start to put the, together maybe in uh, some late season at bats last year, but Mazar is interesting because, you know, listen, I was, I was not terribly excited about the move. I'm not necessarily terribly excited about the move but the bottom line is if you're gonna uh, wail about trading steel walker who you know arguably with Luis robert advanced into the majors might have gone into the season as our top outfield prospect if you're gonna wail about losing him for mazara when mazara isn't even i think a full year older than him and he's got like you know a thousand plate appearances you know under his belt already i mean even i gotta realize and look in the mirror and say that you're being a little silly because the guy's obviously seen a lot of time in the majors he hasn't set the world on fire and become an mvp but he's a guy still you know you think uh with the proper you know tutoring and, and mentorship maybe maybe getting out of the pressure of texas uh you know as a guy might put something together that you know that that, that could surprise us and could impress us yeah side note uh, Ingle's another University of Louisville guy, so that's pretty cool. But back to Mazzara. Um, last year, actually, yeah, yeah. So last year, um, even if he, he just keeps up what he was doing and we just play him in his matchups against right at an 821 OPS. So, I mean, you'll take that any day. Yeah. So as long as we're, as long as Ricky's putting these guys in the best position to succeed, I think it can be a really, really successful platoon. Yeah, tr compared to like negative 25 war last year out of right field, I mean, definitely they'd be happy with you out there. They might even be happy with me out there because I, you know, we, I, I would limit, I, would, I think I would limit damage. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I can catch, catch a fly ball. I don't know. But uh, all right, last point of, of your four, sort of this four unheralded stories or easy to overlook stories, uh, dealt with Kelvin Herrera and a guy who. Uh, was brought in as a big free agent, um, late-inning guy. You know, maybe not necessarily the closer, but a guy who could be closer. Uh, start out strong. God, him and uh, Colome had, a, I want to say, a pretty solid like month as a one-two punch. And then it seemed like Herrera ran into a little injury bug uh, that really plagued the season. And then he did sort of tighten it up at the end of the year, which a naysayer would say, oh, well, you know, who, who is he pitching against? Or oh, it doesn't matter. But, you know, you'd rather have him end on a good note than not. So there's something in his 2019 debut with the White Sox that gives you some hope for 2020? Yeah, definitely. Whatever those late innings, you know, the last 15 starts, he had a great 
stretch, but whatever the opposite of high leverage is, those were those innings. So um, ultimately, I think injury struggles that hit after you know maybe a month of the season had a little bit more impact than the surface level would lead you to believe. I actually found a really cool graphic on um, Baseball Savant, and it just kind of showed release point of all of the different pitches throughout the season, kind of charted them on a graph. Um, and the Asman looked at circle of their release points, and Herrera's was all over the place. It was the most erratic by far of anyone that I saw. Um, and that's something that I, you know, I could see being caused by those injuries. Those nagging lower body injuries are going to throw everything in the kinetic chain off. Maybe he's babying it. Maybe he's not trying to hurt it. Um, or, you know, the pain is just causing him to be searching for things. And so if he can continue a healthy season this year, um, I think he can clean that up. Um, and then also some of his advanced metrics showed that he was a little bit better of a pitcher than what he had credit for last year. Um, he actually generated a lot of weak contact. So he might've had some bad luck as far as batted ball luck. But um, if he can clean those things up, I think he can potentially have a bounce back season. Uh, obviously he's not going to be anything like he was during his prime, but I think he can still be a very effective reliever. Yeah. I'm looking at Trevor's piece. Uh, it's over on Southside hit pen and I'm looking at his, his two baseball savant you know, comparisons uh, and Herrera's release point graphic looks like one of those, like it looks like a radar shot of one of those nasty, nasty, like tornado alley storms that might blow through a place like Louisville or Kansas city. It's ugly. It's, it's, it's wide. Uh, there's dots all over the place. It definitely doesn't look like a guy who has uh, his release point and his, his confidence and his health uh, together. I don't think uh, you know, this guy's a power. He's a power pitcher. He's not a guy who's going to like commit like Dan Quisenberry antics with release point and like, you know, go sidearm and go three quarter and go submarine. This is a guy who needs to be releasing consistently. And, and clearly in what you pulled out uh, from the, from baseball savant uh, indicates that he's a guy who was really just wildly all over the place. And that, that can't be good for a guy, especially when he's, He's got a limited chance to make an impact in a game. He's getting just maybe two, three, four batters. We're about halfway. We're, we're about halfway through the podcast here, and that means we have to step away for about a minute break. Uh, we're going to do that right now. I'm with Trevor Lines of Southside Hit Pen and fan post writer at Southside Sox, and uh, we're going to be back in just about a minute. We'll see you on the other side. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right, we're back with the South Side Sox podcast. I'm Brett Valentini, and with me is first-time podcast guest and uh, relative rookie writer at Southside Hip Pen and Southside Sox, Trevor Lines. Uh, and we've been talking a little bit about the uh, 2020 White Sox. I know that's all been put a bit on delay right now, but again, we are operating this podcast and operating Southside Sox as if uh, things will return to normalcy as soon as possible. We certainly hope that is sooner than later. Let's start getting into maybe some general observations, Trevor, you have of the truncated spring training season. I know you caught, I believe, at least one game down at Camelback Ranch. So whether coming out of that game or just your general observations about spring training and how it was progressing in general... Were there guys who were jumping out to you or maybe guys who were maybe disappointing you a little bit in their performance um, so far? Um, well, Herrera, as we mentioned before the break, um, his first start, he kind of got shelled. So that was like right after my article came out. I was like, well, <laughs> figures. But, you know, his next three or four starts yeah. were solid. I think they were all 
zero earned runs, um, and he looked pretty good. So there's one guy that I'm looking at could possibly have a a bounce back season, as we mentioned. Um, Mazzara looked really good. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Yermin uh, Mercedes had a huge spring, um, just got sent down. But, um, you know, I think he's he's a good story. Um, I would like, I would have liked to have seen him as a potential 26th man. Um, just because Collins can't really be a guy that's just playing every week, every two weeks, he's got to be a guy that's still developing, especially if the Sox see him as a part of their future. Whereas Mercedes, they didn't really have a lot of investment in him. So I think he would be a perfect guy to late inning, come off the bench, potentially pinch hitting for a guy like Mazzara. If they bring in a left-handed pitcher to face him. Um, and he's already shown to be a guy that can come through in those clutch situations. Um, pitching wise, Birdie was a guy that stood out. Um, Reynaldo had that good start. Um, obviously Keuchel had his struggles in his couple starts. I actually saw his first start. That was the game I was at. And, you know, he's, he, he's a guy that's a veteran might not be max effort right now, just trying to get his feel for his pitches so I'm not I'm not worried about that whatsoever. Yeah, I think it was it, it was encouraging to see a number of guys. You mentioned a couple: Zach Birdie, um, uh, Herrera, uh, Carson Fulmer, a guy who had a couple, two, three of his first outings were awful and getting people howling yeah. over him. And then that dude turned it around, and he was looking like the guy we hoped he could be. At least once we reset our expectations for him, perhaps <laughs> as a bullpen piece and not you know yeah. as a, as an ace or a solid number three. Uh, so I, th- I like that trend in the bullpen in that the major league bullpen really seemed to be rounding into shape. Um, the guys, I mean, other than the fact that we haven't, we don't even know if uh, I've speculated Jace Fry's maybe like, he's like working a food truck or something. Cause I don't, you know, he's hasn't even shown up yet. I mean, aside from the fact that yeah. a key piece there as, as the second left in the pen hasn't been part of it, the rest of what the presumed bullpen is seems to generally be rounding into shape. Column A, of yeah. course, is a, is a, is another story entirely. And he's, <laughs> That's the one I was going to bring up. You know, he's really making you, you, you scream with concern. And I guess the only thing I would hang hopes on is the fact that he seems to really be uh, uppity about the fact, you know, when he's not getting save ops and when he's not coming yeah. in in the eighth or ninth and the fact he's getting rolled out there in like the fifth and sixth. I would think Ricky would be like, no, I'm just not going to do no matter no matter what, I'm not going to do that because it's going to freak the poor guy out. But, I, you know, I'm hoping that's what it is because he has been uh, atrocious. Yeah. You know, some of those guys, like you were saying, have a totally different mindset when they're coming in that high leverage safe situation. And it might take that for them to get up and be at their most effective level. So hopefully he's one of those types of guys um, and he'll figure it out. Um, Some of his advanced stats from last year kind of showed that he maybe overperformed. Um, So I could see him taking a slight step back, but he's, he's in general been a solid reliever over the course of his career. So I wouldn't expect anything different, hopefully, in uh, this short in 2020 season. Uh, you know, I am not nearly sophisticated or sharp enough to understand what the thinking behind the optioning of a day or so ago was uh, in putting uh, Zach Collins and Yermin Mercedes and Jose Ruiz uh, designated them to Charlotte. Uh, I have to assume that if spring training was still rolling, um, that wouldn't necessarily be the case in that the Zach and, and your mean decision, or certainly the your mean decision, because as you pointed out, uh, Trevor, Zach's going to need the reps as a catcher, and he's not going to get them with the big league club in 2020, uh, barring injury. Uh, but my heart just goes out to your, on, on a number of levels with your mean, A, because he was making this storied run to the 26th man, and at some point, he was not going to be denied. And, and who's to say what the, yeah. the last three weeks of his spring training was going to be, or may still be to come? But the guy was basically saying, I know you don't want to regard me, but I'm going to just keep hitting home runs. And if I keep hitting home runs, guess what? You have to put me on the team. And that's sort of, I mean, again, a lot can change in just a few weeks. And so we're really only halfway through spring training. Uh, However, had he kept that up, I mean, there's no doubt they would have had really no choice but to either move him, move him to another team who's like turned on by the fact he's got like 13 spring training homers or, uh, you know, put in any role. Uh, put him on the team. So, I mean, I assume you feel the same way. Your heart's got to break yeah. for the guy because, you know, he's he is a Cinderella story. And, you know, now, you know, the best stretch of his life and the most visible stretch of his life, you know, it's gone into the deep freeze. Yeah. 
he's a guy that's really hit at every level. Um, he might not have any other tool besides that, but the guy can mash. So, um, the game that I was at, he got a late inning pinch hit, looked absolutely terrible on two sliders, just waved at him. And then with two strikes was able to kind of shorten up and punch something up the middle. Uh, I think he got an infield single as surprising as that is out of it. (laughs) Um, so yeah, seems like a guy that, you know, like I said, just, just hits. If only he could play right field, Trevor. If only he could play right field. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, let's. Uh, we've talked a little bit about injuries and you know rehab, and obviously had a, a really great conversation and one-on-one with Zach Birdie, and really brought us up to date on a story that I think some of us, even though we were seeing some of the good results, and he was he was sort of on that pro versus con uh, list of guys and how they've done so far in spring training, you know, that probably a lot of us in the back of our minds were still too easy to dismiss. But let's get past all the, you know, White Sox injuries and how they're doing. Let's really get down to the important stuff. Uh, Trevor, how's the wrist? How's it coming along? Have you been able to get back into the cages yet? Or, or you know, what's your ETA? Um, <laughs> my ETA for the golf course <laughs> is probably three months. Um, but I just got out of my cast and I'm in a brace now. I uh, just started some PT, and my range of motion is pretty good. Uh, I think I'm a little bit ahead of schedule in that regard, but I'm not trying to push it or anything. I'm trying to get it strong and healed up before I you know, loosen it up too much. It's the second time I've had surgery on this wrist, so Yikes. hopefully it'll be the last. I have to take it real easy. So, listen, listeners, I know you're already impressed with the guy. Trevor's written a couple great pieces. Uh, you know, He's obviously astute. Uh, baseball mind can translate in that in, that into writing really well. He's going to uh, give us great, uh, I think, analysis and and opinion, you know, all season long. But think about the fact that the guy is writing these stories. I mean, you might think, I, okay, you're sending home right now, like, yeah, I type on a computer, yeah, well, how hard is it, yeah, well, you know, whatever, a big deal, Brad. I'm really impressed by you. Okay, don't be impressed by me. I'm just a big mouth yakking garbage all the time right okay trevor is fighting through he's got like three functioning fingers he's got about a half a wrist that works because i'm sure the other one's carpal tunneling or something the guy's like <laughs> probably typing with his nose and he's putting these kind of articles together so you know come on a little round of applause for the guy he's fighting through some injury he just said what you're you're three i mean i don't know why you go on the golf course trevor you know between you and me but he's three months from the golf course from the golf course he's three <laughs> yeah. months away from that that's a significant injury so definitely uh, best of health and best of luck. A second surgery on the same wrist is never a good thing. So, yeah, I do hope this is – you can close the book on that wrist, you know, move to another part of your body. Let's right? hope. Jeez. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about uh, – you grew up uh, in the in the suburbs, uh, grew up, I presume, probably from the get-go as a White Sox fan. Tell me a little bit about your White Sox uh, story, Trevor. Yeah, so I grew up in Morris, Illinois. It's about 15 minutes down 80 from Joliet. Some people consider it a suburb. Some people consider it outside the suburbs. But for our purposes, we'll say it's a small suburb of Chicago. Um, Yeah, White Sox fan ever since I can remember. Um, My dad is one of the rare White Sox and Cubs fans. Oh, you? Jeez. Um, Yeah. Wow. We'll see. We'll see about (laughs) that. But um, my whole family is really into baseball, um, extended family as well. My dad played in college and then um, kind of just brought me up on baseball. I've always been into the Sox. Obviously, 2005 was right as I was starting to become a bigger Sox fan and a bigger baseball fan, starting to kind of understand what was going on a little bit better. So that was a cool time. And ever since then, I just have been really into the Sox, especially with the rebuild. You know, the major league team was really struggling for the past four or five years really for the entire decade, yep. but the past four or five years of the rebuild, um, I just was super into tracking these prospects all the way through and kind of bought into Han's vision. And I've just had a great time just following these guys. Yeah. I was Hopefully thought it'll pay off here. I was thought I was lucky Trevor to uh, go to my first game in 77 uh, South side Hitman. That was of course a, a rare oasis and a really uh, ugly stretch of baseball on the South side, of course, but you know, those are your first memories, and that's how you come to love the game. But yeah, I would say that somehow um, coming sort of into your fandom in or around the 2005 season, yeah, I think that sort of beats my story. I don't think you can get a better story than that one, Trevor. I think, and if you're not socks for life coming in that way, man, you just must hate baseball. I mean, there's just no way around it. Yeah, 
definitely. I was uh, watching on MLB YouTube videos that full full games a couple days ago, and it was just some random White Sox game from like 2008, like a month before the blackout game. Sox Mariners. Alexei had a home run. Carlos Quentin had a home run. So I'm missing it. <laughs> yeah, really, we're all starting to Jones. And of course, that's a good, that's a terrific cue. Speaking of random full White Sox games, because at Southside Sox, you know, the hamster's putting up a game uh, pretty much every day, uh, and it's just totally random. There's no, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. We've already had a World Series game get thrown up there. Uh, today's game, uh, we're recording here on Tuesday night. So today's game was a Hawk and Wimpy broadcast uh, early, early in the 1992 season. It looks miserable. It looks like the guys cannot feel their fingers, but that's another Sox win. I think the only guideline I'm doing on these random games that hopefully are some is something that, that those of you who aren't just used to, you know, whatever, cruising YouTube or whatever, uh, uh, is that I'm, I'm the, the guidance I'm giving Hamster is just, you know, pick wins. And if not wins, you know, at least like, terrific 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 games but uh you know pick wins i don't know when we're going to run out of them i don't think it's an endless supply of full games out there but i'm just basically saying let's randomly roll them out and who knows maybe that game that trevor's referring to some game about a month before you know late august uh uh 2008 uh pre-blackout who knows that may that may come up on the spinner and that may be featured on uh, Southside Sox here next week or something but Something to look for. Yeah, you know, it's something to look for. And yeah, obviously we are all uh, a little hungry and it's nice to, you know, we can we can simulate this and that. We can project this and that. But really, it's the games we care about. I mean, if we're even sort of being a little bit patient in just sort of grinding through six weeks of spring training year after year after year and those games, which can get a little, you know, tedious, um, then definitely having no games at all is is really uncharted territory so uh how, how are you dealing with that so far trevor is it uh, i mean we're still sort of early into it and unfortunately it seems like it's gonna stretch a lot longer from here but uh you think you'll be all right yeah we'll see <laughs> if the whole season gets canceled i don't know but man right when the socks everything starts coming together rebuilds over you know we're going to be competing hopefully for a division title this year or at least a wild card and this, I mean, obviously there's bigger fish to fry with the coronavirus. It's not about baseball necessarily, but, um, yeah, I'll be missing it. Talk about a bum rush for White Sox fans. You know, I know a lot of fan bases like to be sad sacks, and I never bought into that Cubs crap about the lovable losers and all that nonsense. So it, it's been a really rough decade of um, losing, you know, mostly losing for the White Sox. This is not territory the White Sox fans are used to being in, as much as we may want to poor mouth or say, oh, yeah, here we go again, White Sox. But listen, we have had, we were already going to have a really tough uppercut in, in 2022 when the whole labor situation, who knows what's going to happen. We're already almost, some of us, you know, the ghoulish among us are saying, you know, oh, well, you know, we, we better win the World Series before then because everything's going to change in 2022. We're not going to have a season. Well, who knew that we're also going to have a season at risk in 2020? And obviously it's nothing anybody can do anything about, but yikes we got coronavirus on one side and we got a labor impasse on another side we got like a season and a half to try to make something happen trevor it's scary yeah it's crazy jeez oh, all right another thing that came out in your uh, meet the players survey is that you're a big hawk fan and of course all of us are you know to some degree big hawk fans i personally think uh you know um, you know he, he it might have uh, befit him to wrap it up a few seasons earlier, but, uh, you know, I do, I do love the guy and being on the beat. I got to spend time with him, um, uh, to have your broadcasting, you know, hero in, in some form, you know, you know, call you by your first name is, it's sort of cool to talk a little, talk a little, yeah. uh, review a little, uh, of the game, you know, with him is sort of cool. Um, but, uh, tell me, tell me some Hawk highlights or a favorite Hawkism or, uh, you know, just something you're going to miss about the guy or you loved about the guy. Oh, there's so many hawkisms. I don't know if I can pick one. Some highlights. Um, the Wagner. What are you doing, Wagner? You got to be bleeping me all that. It cracks me up. Um, when he went to check on Todd Frazier mid-broadcast after he got hurt. You know, no other broadcaster in the bigs is doing that. So that's just a cool cool thing about Hawk. Total homer, but, you know, as a White Sox fan, you got to love him. Yeah, the golden years for me, uh, him, him and Wimpy, because they just had such a good rapport. Uh, obviously, him and Stone 
didn't necessarily see eye to eye. I think they had some, maybe some mutual respect as, as pros, obviously, but I, you know, I think they had different approaches. And so it's at times became sort of evident. And until it was pretty clear that he was sort of coming around third base for that, you know, final net in his final at bat, I, you know, I don't think things really lighten up between him and Steve. So that was a shame, but boy, you know, you go back to the golden era of Hawk and Wimpy and, you're not really going to hear a better broadcast in my book. You know, I know some people, you know, are just all like Scullyites or, you know, they'll, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of great broadcasters out there, but boy, you know, that combination of guys who played the game, knew to have fun with it, could get still feisty, could, could get spicy with it. Like uh, Hawk, certainly uh, Wimpy was off eating a hot dog somewhere, or a burger, but you know, Hawk getting all fired yeah. up about something. I mean, you know, that's, that's what you want. You want to think it's like, you know, your dad's there with you watching the game. Your friend is there watching the game and they're yelling at the TV, you know, just like, you know, you know, Hawk might be or, or cheering, you know, when, you know, when, yeah. when something good happens and you know, that, that was his magic. He definitely, uh, he definitely could connect with the, the common fan. I think that's for sure. For sure. And that's why he's going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he won the Ford for yeah, the award and he's, he's getting honored. That's pretty cool. And, uh, I imagine in a, uh, summer of, well, at least truncated highlights, perhaps, for, for baseball. Uh, if they're able to have a normal ceremony in uh, August, I believe, uh, that'll be a... And certainly he will get to say his speech at some point. That'll be a speech to listen to. That, you know, that hopefully that's going to be a fun one. I imagine it's, it's, it could be a feisty one. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little yeah, bit, sure. as, as we wrap up here, Trevor, tell me a little bit about just your, your playing career. You played in college. Uh, give me a little scouting report. Scouting report on Trevor Lyons, <laughs> um, second baseman, uh, I would say very light hitting, um, put the ball in play, move the ball, really good back control, very rarely strikes out, but not going to hit for much power at all, um, can bunt, can hit and run, um, play solid defense for the most part, you know, I had my moments, but, um, uh, just a guy that'll give you whatever you need, try and do, try and help the team win. And, uh, team first guy, I like to think, uh, um, I think I had a lot of my teammates respect in that, um, my senior year, we were able to finally get a conference championship, which is kind of what we were building towards, um, for my whole career. Uh, we always were putting up big win numbers and then the conference championship kind of eluded us. So uh, we were able to finally get that ring my senior year. Um, and they were going to be really, really good this year. It was our last year at the Division II level. Mm. Um, and we had an absolute pitching staff. You know, I've got to be one of the best in all of Division II. Um, one of the guys, keep an eye on Brandon Fott. He, he might be a top five-round pick. Um, Larry Owens, our head coach, actually was a minor league coach with the White Sox for years. Um, so that's another tie into the Sox. So we'll see. I would love to see Brandon end up in a Sox uniform at some point, but, um, had a blast in college, um, and made a lot of great memories with some good guys. Do we, do we, do we have a standout game, like three stolen bases or a, or a Homer or, or something, a, a particularly memorable game for you or, um, I was very streaky my senior year. I was playing through that wrist injury, and I started out on fire. Uh, I think I might have had like a stretch of like maybe nine for eleven or something, uh, with a couple doubles, some RBIs, and then one career home run. Nice. College, um, in front of the home fans at Lewis University. Nice. Yeah. You made a count. Yeah. So I had yeah I had a lot of my family there. It was pretty cool. I'm guessing, given uh, a guy who you're, you're admitting in your scouting report, a little light hitting, uh, not a lot of homers under the belt, uh, weren't really able to maybe quite you know, pimp that one in, in any way, just sort of like put your head down and like got to third base before you realized <laughs> yeah, it was over the fence. I was sprinting out of the box. <laughs> All right, a little Charlie Hustle action, sure. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was not a no-doubter by any means, but they all count the same. Hey, that's Southside Hit Pens, Trevor lines and if the baseball draft still went like 98 rounds like it, it did at some point or if they had like class b class c class d ball there's no doubt about it this guy'd be playing he'd still be playing somewhere i mean i guess he'd be on the dl because he's had his second wrist injury you know got to get that thing right but hey he'd probably still be scrapping for some like 
class D, class C, whatever, trying to like scrape his way up. Who knows? You know, I mean, yeah. why not keep yeah, the game who knows? going? I would have had to make some swing adjustments probably early in my college career to kind of develop more power. That was kind of the one thing holding me back, I would say. But um, by the end of my career, I was just trying to stay on the field. So Yeah, really? Jesus. Uh, okay, well, yep. that is Trevor Lyons, Southside hip pen uh, writer and a guy that you might also know from Southside Sox. Uh, I'm Brett Valentini. We're keeping Southside Sox rolling, of course, for you guys. We're going to, as we have been doing, sort of updating on uh, specific, like, uh, virus news or what, what, whatever you would call it, the different developments. It's obviously been rapidly moving. I believe it was only uh, four or five days ago when we got the first news that MLB would be even pushing the season back at all. And just, you know, yesterday it had already moved to now we're pretty much knocking out, you know, all of April and May. And, you know, obviously that news is going to slow down at some point. Uh, it can't just keep, we can't keep losing a week every day. Uh, but hopefully things will uh, stabilize here, you know, in the country, you know, with sports, but just overall society in general, so that we're able to just, you know, get a few more answers. I think a lot of us right now are sort of just up in the air, the gray area. It can be very unnerving. Uh, so hopefully, you know, things, you know, relatively soon, you know, certainly within a couple of weeks, I hope we'll just have a little bit more definition about what's going on, including with baseball. And obviously, once things start to turn a corner, we'll be we'll be right back in line with uh, presenting, you know, the day to day coverage, uh, recaps and so forth. But until then, you know, we're going to just try to give you, you know, well, I guess we're considering, you know, to be somewhat, you know, rainy, you know, r rain delay theater type of stuff. Uh, you know, keep the discussion going. We've got such a great community at Southside Sox. I uh, appreciate everybody who's still participating. Um, you know, passing that information, really information that might be helpful to everybody else in terms of dealing with the virus and, and how we're all supposed to conduct ourselves. And, you know, of course, baseball talk too. You know, let's let's try to still find a way to uh, get a little bit of escape, uh, you know, into the game, you know, even though right now it seems maybe a little more distant than we'd like it to be. But uh, keep on reading, keep on listening. Appreciate you guys out there. And Trevor, thanks very much for uh, joining us. We'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely do a podcast again soon. Sounds good, Brad. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to keep contributing. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening and reading. And uh, we'll be back with the podcast, I'm sure, in uh, a week or shorter. We'll keep rolling them out to you and hopefully give everybody something to, uh, to enjoy and look forward to here in this uh, 2020 season while we're a bit on pause. But thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you soon.